This week on Behind the Idea, we break down an activist letter. Specifically, we take Elliott Management's plan for AT&T, which they called Activating AT&T, and we see how a professional firm makes its case. There's a lot to like, though maybe it's no surprise that Elliott is stronger in breaking down where AT&T has gone wrong than they are at saying what could go right. Still, Elliott Management makes a solid case for why shareholders could earn a 60-65% to return over the next couple years if AT&T management listens. Should they? And should shareholders? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome, folks, to Behind the Idea. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Schwartzman. This week, we're going big as we're looking at Elliott Management's activist case for AT&T. Ticker symbol T. The communications giant has lagged behind its biggest peer, Verizon, and the market as a whole. Elliott Management, a renowned and sometimes controversial activist fund, argues that this is due to loss of focus, scattershot M&A, and general bureaucracy and operational sludge. But, but, they think that there could be real value for this mega cap if AT&T puts in place an activating AT&T game plan of divesting, cutting costs, and better management. Today's episode breaks down Elliot's case and sees whether this should line up for dividend investors or not. And why are we actually, Daniel and I, a little warm and fuzzy about this thesis? But before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem, books by Joel Greenblatt, and activist shareholder letters from Elliott Management. Neither Daniel nor I have any positions in any stocks we expect to discuss, although uh, I might soon take a little nibble at AT&T shares on the long side. Nothing right now, though. And nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort, people. Finally, Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus. Pro Plus subscribers get early looks at top ideas, high-conviction articles by our best authors, as well as many other exclusives and alerts to Seeking Alpha's leading research, to try Pro Plus for 30 days free, go to SeekingAlpha.com slash ProPlus. That's SeekingAlpha.com slash P-R-O-P-L-U-S. Daniel, activating com slash letter. What is contained at this URL? This is a full-out activist thesis, obviously. Not a super contentious activist thesis, I should say, and we'll get into it, but a activist thesis by Elliott Management for what AT&T needs to do to right its ship. And I think, as we were saying before the call, I think what really stands out, it's a more effective takedown of AT&T's past than it is per se a 
prescription for AT&T's future. Not that it's a bad prescription and we'll get into that, but I think the, the, it's really compelling as far as how AT&T has gone astray. And I think they, you know, it, it's just an interesting professionally done letter overall. Elliott management really kicks in some flattery about who AT&T is as a business. Obviously, you know, this is goes back to Alexander Graham Bell. I mean, this is a major industrial company and communications company in the country. But to catch your eye, they roll out price charts and performance charts that show how far AT&T lags against a number of different peer or comparison equities or indices. So we start out with the S&P 500, which it underperforms by almost 150 basis points or more than 150 basis points, not, excuse me, 150 percentage points, percentage points, yeah. much more than basis points. Yeah. Uh, Elliot's not getting out of bed for 150 basis points. Right, right. So we're talking about 150 percentage point difference. We're talking about lagging against Verizon, which is its clearest peer um, in just about every, the only time frame in which they're not lagging all of these companies is over the last year up until September 6th when this letter was released, where they kind of did some catch up as Elliot puts it, but they're lagging behind Verizon throughout the past 10 years. There's also, they do a, a column in their table that shows just under the current management regime, which predates the crisis by a little bit. So it's just kind of lagging the SP 500, lagging the Dow Jones industrial average, lagging Verizon, lagging a basket of peers uh, we can get into the peers. I think it's a little bit uh, of an odd group, but regardless, we're talking about large cap tech plus some large cap dividend payers, etc. AT and T has kind of been behind every uh, on every metric, and Elliot looks into why this is the case. I think they make a compelling argument that's founded on basically they've gone from a disciplined approach to M and A that helped them rebuild after the breakup of Ma Bell. And they messed up their bid to T-Mobile seven or eight years ago where they bid on the company. It never got through the Department of Justice review. Not only did they waste all their time and energy on that, they also then paid a huge breakup fee to T-Mobile, which then gave a fourth major player in the industry. So it was like a huge loss. I thought that was a really – it was a succinct paragraph, but it's like really brutal when you think about that. DirecTV, Time Warner, which are more familiar for listeners following the market recently, two different acquisitions AT&T has made, neither of which seem to be all that well thought out. They have a bunch of smaller things, so they've kind of sprawled in their efforts. Beyond that, even just in their core business, they just don't seem to be getting the – they're not growing wireless market share. In fact, they're losing it. They are struggling with their margins. Elliot points out a few key actual events that they could have done better with the iPhone when it came out, 4G LTE networks, etc., where they've really just struggled to just execute well. The same goes for DirecTV with the that integration and that purchase, and then you know the company has struggled to integrate that successfully. Warner Media, people who might be following what's going on with HBO, where they were going to just do a bigger version of. HBO. Now they have HBO Max. They like it. Also, doesn't exactly speak of crisp product rollout and crisp strategy and execution. 
Elliot's prescription, I think, is a little bit more familiar. It's basically get rid of non-core units and make a really serious evaluation of what those non-core units are. Improve cutting costs and improving operational performance. Elliot puts a lot of emphasis on AT&T's potential to lead in 5G, the next generation of wireless communications. And then take these savings and operational improvements and better focus, start to put them into debt pay down, but also into continued increases of the dividend and a share buyback plan. And that's their case, basically. It's basically that they've messed up a lot of things, but they still have their core assets. They still have the ability to, to lead in the wireless space. And, you know, for all that, they raise question marks around DirecTV and Time Warner, for example. Those are, in theory, really good assets to have. And so really kind of double down on their core focus of what they want to be in the 2020s now and look into cleaning up their act. And then with a PE that's 9.9 as of their writing, you don't need a lot to go right for there to be some upside. And so that's sort of the that's the basic outline of the thesis as I understood it. Was there anything that stood out to you from that, Mike, or anything I you think I missed? I would just emphasize a couple of charts and graphics from the article that I think really epitomize the thesis. One is there's a they put in an org chart that for some of the acquisitions, DirecTV and Time Warner. Yeah, that's and, brutal. And it just they put a red X. It's actually it looks a little like violent almost. It's a red <laughs> X through everyone's name who's no longer uh, with the company, illustrating sort of key management turnover at at the acquisition targets. So you look in CEO, CFO, EVPs, SVPs, CTO, all these important people at Direct TV are no longer there. They have big red X's through their names. Uh, reminds me of like Saddam Hussein playing cards or whatever from the Iraq war from way back when. Same thing with Time Warner, uh, which I think just shows a, a sense of discontinuity between the companies they purchased and whatever is going on there now that may be affecting these kind of big rollouts, having some challenged execution. And then the other chart, which I think is even more sort of emblematic of the situation here and why this sort of activates our light bulbs of, ooh, this is value and this is a situation that could really benefit shareholders and activism makes sense. There are two sets of pie graphs, one showing Verizon's asset portfolio evolution from basically over the past 10 years. And it's a very easy to read pie chart in 2010, 39% uh, wireline business, 60% wireless business. And then effectively, there's been some diversification since then. Uh, the wireline business has shrunk. Actually, if anything, Verizon's more concentrated, 71% wireless business, 22% wireline, and 7% other. So Verizon is basically more focused now than it was in 2010 and is making a huge bet on wireless. AT&T, meanwhile, there are, two, there are two pie charts for the same time frame, 2010 to 2019, and it's an even split more or less between wireless and wireline in 2010. 
And now the pie chart looks crazy. There are too many, there are so many colors to it. A plurality of the businesses in wireless, which you'd expect based on what you know about AT&T. But then there are all these other segments now. Wireline is 21%. Video is 18%. Warner Media is 18%. And Latin America is 4%. So it's a really stark illustration of a company that could benefit from some greater focus. And I think it just rings all these bells of, you know, empire building and asset growth being bad for shareholders. Focus and concentration of assets and execution are what drive a lot of value creation. It's just a very compelling set of pie charts that sort of tell the story of AT&T losing its way compared to its competitors by adding a bunch of stuff that's actually very difficult to manage. and losing some focus there. So to me, that it just sort of tickles the value investor sort of special situations. Funny bone. Could you... Uh, for that reason. Well, could you spell that out? Why, what's the connection between the the lost their way chart versus Verizon's chart and this value special situation? How do you How do you make that bridge? Well, I guess like the classic sort of economic or finance argument is basically there's an argument out there that, you know, conglomerates or diversification within firms is actually value destructive to shareholders. And the reason for that is because, well, there's a number of reasons. One is that investors have specific risk preferences, and so they optimize risk reward. If you have a bundle of assets all together within the same company, then Investors are going to apply a discount to that for reasons of they can't take the exact specific business risk that they want to if all of those companies were broken up into separate investable vehicles. Another is that management tends to get distracted or spread thin, and it's much more difficult to execute properly on a wide variety of business models than it is to focus and concentrate on a single business model from a management perspective. So those are sort of the two main things I think that create a a discount in markets or this theory of a conglomerate discount. And that's just sort of a widely held thing. There are exceptions like Berkshire Hathaway or other examples where the management is actually a really effective asset allocator, in which case it can create value. That argument doesn't seem to apply here with AT&T, you know, the Share price performance is pretty clearly indicated that these asset allocation decisions have at least not panned out over the past 10, 15 years or so. So that's the basic argument. And then the flip side of that argument is that, and this is where, you know, Joel Greenblatt comes in and a lot of activist theory comes in, is that the sum of the parts of the portfolio of assets can be worth more than what the market is valuing them for. So there are paths to value creation, like spinoffs, like asset sales, like other things that enable the reversal of this course and, and then accordingly allow the market to more properly value the assets. So if a company that does two things not very well sells the non-core asset and then is able to focus on doing just one thing really well, then that ought to enable greater efficiencies and greater returns to shareholders. In addition, market participants will be able to invest in, take the 
types of company-specific risks that they actually are seeking rather than having to sort of make partial plays. And then just as a general, more high-level observation, you know, quantitative investors believe in the asset growth anomaly, which is simply just from a very high level, growth in total assets. Uh, companies that do that tend to underperform companies that have uh, the top asset growers tend to underperform the lowest decile underperformers. So, or the lowest decile asset growers, those that either have low asset growth or shrinking asset growth. So that's the kind of, there's a lot of stuff in here that just seems like it comes from a sort of finance textbook. It all feels very straightforward if you have that sort of theoretical background. Well, and I think also, I think all of that is on the money. Also, the the stark comparison to Verizon, again, go back to chapter one of Greenblatt and his in-laws shopping for paintings. Elliot is basically saying, that guy has the same paints as you do, and they're able to do this, whereas you've made this. And we'd rather have the, you know, we'd rather have the nice looking portrait rather than the Jackson Pollock over here. Could you please just figure out how to paint like this and then you'll get re-rated. And that's, which, you know, there's an argument for it. And I think that's it. But to me, that this argument could arguably be AT&T, please be more like Verizon. You'll do better. And I think that's reasonable. I thought one other chart, I thought one chart that you were going to mention that you didn't is there's also a chart in here of Mutual fund weighting of mega cap stocks in the S&P 500. So I don't know if this is every stock in the S&P 500 with a 100 billion plus market cap, but it's got at least 40 names or so here. And it's they're ranked by, on average, how many mutual funds hold these mega cap stocks, you know, and Charter is the most, it's two and a half times the average than Netflix, Broadcoms. Salesforce, which, you know, lots to, you could pick apart there. But when you go on the low end, AT&T is the second least held. The only stock less held in mutual funds, only mega cap stock in the S&P 500 is IBM, which I think is ironic in history because IBM was always the stock that you'd never get fired for owning. And now nobody owns it. But for AT&T, that's also in theory, a quite big opportunity, right? If you're, yeah, if you're it's looking, like the second second cheapest wine on the menu, <laughs> like it makes me wonder why Elliot didn't pick IBM's because like it's too. IBM's it's the table wine. It's like or ordering the the uh, red Zinfandel. You so can't you get the table wine. Yeah, <laughs> you look like you've got a there. There's like at least a little bit of selection that you're applying to this. You're not just going for the. You're like, uh, don't give me the cheapest. Give me the second. Makes me want to look at. We should look at IBM. We should look at IBM. But yeah, I I, I don't know. So that's I I like the charts you pointed out. I think they're very nice job on charts here, Elliot. Lots of points. <laughs> great, great graphic design. <laughs> Real no, but really added to their argument, made it nice and clean, and so. Well, wait. Let's stop for a second. So the just before we move on from the charts, the the mutual fund weighting of mega cap stocks in S and P five hundred is the title of the chart. Let's go through the argument real fast and sort of just say what Elliot's saying there. So what Elliot's saying is 
AT&T is, besides IBM, the white, red Zinfandel of the white Zinfandel of the S&P 500, AT&T is the worst, least owned, least loved stock among active mutual fund managers. And so I think Elliot's argument here is this, this is indicative that AT&T has not been able to convince portfolio managers that it's going to be a solid performer. Is that, and then is that the extent of the argument or is there more to it than that? I think there's the other side of it, which they don't, they, they say such depressed valuations when found in conjunction with stellar assets also give rise to unique investment opportunities. But I, I, I read this as sort of a, if there's regression to mean in far as, as far as mutual fund weighting of mega cap stocks, that's the incremental buyer becomes relatively clear. If that, I, I know that's, we're now getting in away from fundamentals and into not quite technicals, but that sort of thing. But to me, it makes it clear that a rebalancing towards AT&T would ha- almost have to drive the price of the shares up. And so that's, Something that is in theory on the table here. That's the other, I think their main point is nobody believes in you guys. This whole grand strategy isn't working anyhow. So you should think about as change, but also, you know, if there's a problem and you fix it, that could lead to a nice tailwind as well. That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, I don't know if I actually believe that or not, but, um, Sure. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. So, what's is there, next? Well, so is there anything else that stands out to you before we go into their plan? Anything else? I, I, I did want to say quickly about the Direct TV and Time Warner charts and the cross out the the Hall of Heroes or Rogues Gallery of executives who haven't made it through AT and T's merger. Is that significant? In a, if a bank buys another bank, I presume that a lot of management gets laid off because that becomes redundant and because running a bank isn't all that different, even if it's in a different geography. Whereas DirecTV and Time Warner are meaningfully different businesses from wireline and wireless phone service. And so that is a, you don't want to lose the expertise, the executive expertise behind that so quickly. And, you know, Time Warner closed sometime last year. So this really is relatively recent. That would be what stands out to me from those charts. So I did want to just flag that. And the other... Well, before you before you get there, just on that, I think I would even go maybe a step further. Some of the talk around the AT&T merger of Time Warner merger and, and HBO in particular, I mean, I found it pretty concerning that this, maybe it's just from my experience working for various media companies, but I think you need to really understand when you're talking about content and you're talking about, you know, IP of that nature, that the management is probably intimately equated with what works and what doesn't work and outsiders are not necessarily going to be able to operate brands like especially prestige or premium brands like HBO as effectively uh, as the insiders would. And I remember some stories coming out about 
some executives at HBO coming up with this idea, like, we're going to ramp up production. We're going to have just like, you know, oodles and oodles of shows. And I remember thinking at the time that if HBO comes out with like 10 or 15 really great things a year, then it's probably doing its job for its subscribers. And I don't think the subscribers necessarily want some kind of massive Netflix-like content flood coming at them all the time. I think that that might have been a misreading of uh, what HBO's value is. And whether or not that's true, I think that goes a little bit further to your point of not only are these businesses distinct from executing a wireless network or a wireline network, I think outsiders would be at a disadvantage relative to uh, whoever was managing the target company. And so I think that goes even further to Elliot's point about get get back to being focused. What are you doing running HBO? You're, you know, that's not what you do. Get back into, get out of content, get out of this kind of vertically integrated jalopy and focus on what you really do well and let other companies do what they do well. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I did another podcast that were the Razor's Edge with Akram's Razor, who's been on Behind Idea. By the time you're hearing this, listeners, it will have been out. But we talked about that. Sort. He he made the point that HBO's prestige is such that you kind of know anything you're going to get is going to be of a good quality. And that's a big gamble to try to go 2x on the quantity or 3x or whatever it is. And so I think that's interesting. The DirecTV purchases, if anything, even more, I mean, they basically top-ticked the pay TV market, if you think about it. I mean, if you're talking about cord cutting and whatever else, I think that applies to DirecTV too. And that really started, if you think about when ESPN subscriber losses started happening, that was more or less when they closed the DirecTV deal. So yeah, it's there's like, again, it's a really, if nothing else, the business study of what has happened to AT&T this decade is really compelling and well done, even, you know, pretty succinct. And I'm sure it builds, I don't know how much you read about AT&T. I don't read about the company that much. So they could be building yeah. work that's out there, but it's really well done. I think that part of it. I think there's a risk there and of this. That's where I think we need to step back from our enthusiasm a little bit for the idea in general and just for AT&T. It's easy for us to sort of avoid doing the kind of in-depth research we might have done on, you know, a specific company that's off the map. And so there's some something like, I think it's easy to be overconfident about understanding a business like AT&T. And to this specific point, I used to be an AT&T and direct TV customer and they were partnered, I think, with Verizon on my internet access. They had some kind of customer sharing deal or whatever. All of which is to say that I'm not completely certain how these bundling and packaging economics work all together. It's annoying to switch providers from one to another. You have to have someone come into your house. It's frustrating. You have to set up an appointment. 
So there may be some customer lock-in there with bundled items that is sort of value accretive to AT&T as a whole when it integrates all these things. And I think that's probably the logic under which these deals were done. That would be kind of an argument against the breakup. And I just want to throw that wrinkle in there because I think that uh, this may not be as straightforward a conglomerate breakup story as it first appears based on all these kind of weird regulatory slash captive customer issues that seem to come up. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, as we look at uh, Elliot's prescription then, yeah, it's worth, I think there's a little bit, I'm sure, and Elliot did, you know, one of the things you can kind of tease them for, but I think was, I won't tease too much is at the beginning, they sort of throat clear about how much work they've done and how big their position is. It's about a 1% position in the company, but big company. And they talk about all the work, but you know, the, these are not going to be galaxy brain ideas. They're pretty, it's pretty much stuff that you imagine AT has heard before and AT&T will claim that they're committed to. And the fact is they're just not getting it done. And so you wonder if, for example, AT&T's initial response has been relatively constructive, I think, but you could see this being the sort of scenario where they were constructive, but then they don't really make a lot of progress. And then Elliot ramps up the pressure and then it becomes a little bit more contentious of an activist battle, for example, because I think there's, it's easy to say, apply better focus, et cetera. And a lot, or prioritize execution, which is a subheader they have, but it's a lot harder to actually deliver on that. And then they've got, now they have a bunch of activists they have to deal with. So thanks a lot. <laughs> now that didn't make it any easier. So, right? Yeah. So their, their roadmap, their activating AT&T plan is pretty straightforward. So I wanted to sum it up and then get your thoughts on it. It's, it's essentially look at the whole portfolio, stop adding new businesses, again, prioritize execution. Stop adding new businesses, it's underlined. No more material <laughs> every day. <I'm> like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I just like, stop, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Please, we've underlined. Nobody underlines on the web anymore. And they say, and they say as far as divesting, they say that there's, you know, tons of, and they list, I mean, look, look at all these home security business, regional sports network, CME. I'm not sure what CMA is. Sky Mexico, Latin American paid TV <laughs> business. Rio. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I was thinking country music entertainment personally. Oh. I don't, I have no idea what it is. Quick edit. CME is Central European Media Enterprises, a TV operator in Romania, Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Czech Republic. AT&T owns 75% through its acquisition of Time Warner. Shout out to Bulgaria and Central Europe. Back to the show. Puerto Rican operations. So tons of, tons of little things that in theory, oh, that's not, you know, that's 1% of the business or whatever. But at some point, again, it's that I think the greatest, you know, and we feel this, I think, working at Seeking Alpha and I think anywhere you work, the greatest resource you have is the organizational time and focus you have. And so cutting down on any amount of time spent on any of these businesses makes sense. 
So that's one of it. They also say, look at bigger businesses. They don't mention Time Warner, but they do mention DirecTV, Mexican wireless operations, and other assets must all be evaluated. But that's those DirecTV is the one I think that has cut headlines. And so look at getting rid of stuff and really focus on what you're doing. They talk about significant operational improvements and they've done work here. They talk about a lot of duplicative layers. They talk about extra levels of management, compare it to the government. Ouch. <laughs> so they, again, that's something that's easily said, but like, there's a lot of inertia there. I don't know how much you're just going to cut through. One of the most interesting things about the operational improvement is the idea of AT&T being positioned to be a leader in 5G, which they talk about more early on. I'm not sure. I thought it was in this section. I'm not seeing it as I scroll through, but they don't really make the case for why they should be a leader in 5G, like what positioning they have. They mentioned, I think there's a paragraph eventually around, you know, they have certain types of assets that should set them up for this, but it's also a fun, like, thing for Elliot to just say as an outsider, like, here's what you do. <laughs> you take this impending technology revolution, and you do it the best of anybody. It's simple. <laughs> I So I, I... And sell Time Warner. <laughs> <laughs> they, they made the case earlier. They said, given its premier spectrum positioning, early LTE advanced work, and recent network improvements driven by the first net build and its one-touch strategy... They are well positioned in 5G, but they'll require meaningful investment and improved execution. Yeah. So, again, I, 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 as day. <laughs> <laughs> we're not capable of really weighing that and deciding whether that's legitimate or not, but fine. It's, I think it's nice to see in an activist case that it's not all about just cut, cut, cut. There is some acknowledgement right. of okay. you need to be ahead of the game. So, they had a four pillar plan. Improve strategic focus, significant operational improvements. Then they talk about formal capital allocation framework. This is where, again, they say no more material M&A and focus on continue to raise the dividend, which I think is a nod to the fact that most retail investors who own the stock own it for the dividend. And then look at 50% of post-dividend free cash flow to debt repayment, 50% to share purchases. I want to put a pin in this to come back to. That's essentially their capital return section, I think is pretty straightforward and pretty traditional. And then there's finally, you know, better management, which essentially take on best corporate governance, best practices, consider, you know, this is a little bit more soft stuff about aligning the business, aligning management with shareholders, et cetera. And so those are the four pillars. And then they kind of say, look, if you just get them back to a 12-time multiple, which is what they used to trade at a lot, 12-time forward multiple will get you to 65% upside at $60 a share. I think they're saying by 2021. So 20, you know, so two years from now, 65% if you're including the dividend that you get with minor increases. Um, and so, yeah, and so that's sort of their, their bottom line prediction. They share where they think revenue can go, where they think EBITDA can grow. Uh, it's all about margins. They're not, they're not really predicting revenue growth here. They're really talking about a 
cut down on costs, get focused, and you can do well. And so that's sort of their, that's, that's the case here. And so what do you think about their prescription? What do you think about the Elliott roadmap? I mean, it's, I think like we were saying, there's nothing really that groundbreaking here. Uh, this is all sort of just classic activist stuff. Uh, get a clearer strategy and focus and communicate that to the market, communicate to investors how you're going to create value for them and then execute on that. And of course, throw the bombs out and get good people in as well, which is another one of those things where it's like, yeah, just find like a great telecom executive and plop them in there. And it's kind of, I wonder if that's got to be a little frustrating for management. We are the best at everything. Yeah, I don't, my reaction is kind of this like makes sense and like the re-rating makes sense. It doesn't seem aggressive. It seems like it seems like the market could just re-rate the stock even without some major changes if you know if AT&T just does a couple things right, then some of this re-rating might happen anyway. So Nothing seems overly ambitious here, either intellectually from like the sort of playbook perspective or also what in terms of what could happen if things start to go right. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that I've started to kind of wonder about whether this is a good investment idea for myself personally is because uh, it wouldn't take a lot. None of this is a very difficult thing to imagine happening. And so, I don't know, I find it very compelling. The two things that I find as the weak points, and then I'll, I think generally agree. I think it is a pretty cheap company, doesn't, and it doesn't look like it's a train wreck, is basically how I saw, saw it. And then if they can kind of do a little better, it might not be as cheap. But I thought the two key weak points to me were that 5G point, I didn't really... I don't, I don't know. Again, it's just a letter to management. In theory, management knows why they should have a 5G advantage. So maybe you don't have to go over that. But that was to me the sort of what is AT&T's core business? You're sort of saying they should refocus, but what is their core business then? Is it, is wireline and wireless a growth, like going to stabilize things? Can they get rid of direct TV? Would anybody buy direct TV or would they have to spin it off? Um, Time Warner, I, I don't think they were – they did not put Time Warner in the divest section. Again, they AT&T has it. What are they going to do with that? So I felt like there was the business level analysis. I, I would have loved to have seen as robust a prescription as they did a diagnosis of what went wrong. So that was sort of not – and again, this is a thorough good letter So and I'm sure they've – talked about it with AT&T maybe they don't want to tip their hand whatever but I just that to me felt a little unbaked as far as that added value and I just thought the share buyback to me reminds me of our discussion about Ligand last week which was they've got a lot of debt on the balance sheet so I you know again I like paying down debt so that I can buy even even though I should say they've got a lot of debt but the interest rates on it are pretty low. So, and that's where 
somebody could counter what I'm going to say next. So I can see getting rid of the debt. But then with a share buyback, it's like, is that the best use of your cash? Is that really, isn't it worth having a war chest? You're not in a stodgy business in theory, right? If you're talking about 5G and we're talking about investments of the future and you're trying to figure out what's going on with Time Warner, to me, I would want to really be building up my cash to give myself optionality for whatever comes. Uh, I, I understand if you're Elliot, you're saying, well, if they build up cash, they might be at risk of going on another M&A binge. Fine. I get that. But to me, I just don't see why you would bother to buy that. I get that they're cheap, but if the company performs well, they won't be cheap. And I think that's what really matters. And, and I guess I'm picking on it because, like you said, it is a pretty typical activist playbook. And I feel like that some of those drawing in the lines, coloring in the lines weakens the argument because it doesn't feel like they've, to me, that is not as, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense why I would spend the cash on that. I don't know. The argument, I think the, the other argument is that, um, you know, if they're retiring shares at a 5.6% or whatever dividend, that's even better than buying back debt. But I don't know. I think that's too clever by half. So um, those are my, that's how I sort of felt about it. Yeah. In general, I find uh, transactions with your um, sources of financing, your owners of your debt, owners of your equity to be sort of the least compelling, usually, usually the least compelling uh, aspects of any of these types of pieces. Because I think eventually it always comes down to you control these assets. How are you going to most effectively create a business model around your asset base? And then everything else kind of, when things are going well, you can make good decisions with respect to your uh, capital stakeholders, but it's not necessarily uh, the front and center thing. I guess the only argument here would be that Investors seem to like buybacks and dividend growth, and maybe it's just as simple as that. In terms of 5G and CapEx versus buybacks or whatever else, I don't really have a view. I don't know what what capital apportionment strategy would make sense there. I find the uh, concentrated investment in 5G rollout to be a compelling mechanism by which AT&T could write the ship. There's also that discussion of the iPhone rollout and how the network wasn't able to handle all the incremental demand from people buying this incredible iPhone back in 2007 or whatever it was. That to me signals enough that you should be, your risk should be more Overinvestment in these kind of big technological leaps rather than underinvestment in them. And so maybe that's where I do come down kind of on your side. Like, what are, should we really focus on a buyback right now if we have this key pivotal operational improvement that we need to make? So I, I don't necessarily find those two things cohesive, but I think you'd have to look at a more detailed breakdown of capital budgeting to really understand what Elliot's saying and then interpret whether that makes sense. Well, I think that that just prompts to me the idea of strategic focus that they rightly brought up, Elliot rightly brought up. 
I know you can, you know, pre-program the buyback or whatever else, but isn't that a distraction to some degree to have a buyback? Uh, to be like, think your capital, I, I know everybody wants capital allocation to be right, but to me, the problems that Elliot has highlighted are not you aren't buying back shares or returning capital. I mean, they've got a dividend yield that's trading at a 4.1% spread to the treasuries as Elliot highlights in another helpful graph. They are spending too much on M&A. So if you want to fix capital allocation, again, that's why you underline no more M&A, please. Right. And so, yeah, I, I feel like that is uh, – and again, I because I think this is – I like this letter. I think it's a, it stays within its boundaries. It's not like it's, it feels like something that was meant to be constructive. And again, doesn't seem revolutionary, but sometimes it's helpful to hear another powerful voice come in and say, Oh, we should do that. That may make it easier for management or whatever else. Like I think there was a, there's a lot good in here. It just feels like there's, you know, so a few nits to pick that makes it feel like they're they're not truly thinking this all the way through. One that I saw made, they were made fun of on Twitter for was putting their price target really close to the top of the letter as if like really wanted to say we think this is a $60 or $55 a share stock so that people would get excited because Elliott Management thinks that rather than letting this thesis sit with them, see how you get there, etc. We've handled a few activist articles in our time. Not uncommon to foreground that price target. No, for sure. It's it's not unique to Elliot by any means. And I don't think the stock really, you know, it may have gone up a little bit, but it's not far from where it was earlier. Here's what, um, here's where I come down. I think that the ideas are good and compelling. I don't think that it's, I think that it's still a high risk situation. You kind of need a parlay to play out here for things to go really well. You need management to buy into the parts of the strategy that will work to create value for shareholders. I do believe that there are elements in that letter that would do that if management adopted them, but that's a, that's uncertain. Uh, from AT&T management's perspective, they could ignore those things or misapply them or engage in a drawn-out battle with Elliot that destroys value. Uh, the second is that whatever the core strategy is going forward is subject to a lot of uncertainty. And I think that there's a risk for investors who might consider AT&T, and I've seen this on Seeking Alpha for sure, that it's been around forever and it's, you know, Alexander Graham Bell and the, the Ma Bell, uh, breakup and all that long story history and the, the need for telephony and the need for data transmission and secular sort of demand for us always needing to communicate more and more may create an illusion of stability around the business. Whereas, uh, there's this constant need to invest in sort of iterating on this. And anytime you have a new rollout of a new technology, you're vulnerable to competition 
overtaking you, and we see that in multiple stages of this letter. Uh, for all those reasons, the stock still looks cheap, but I mean, I'm doing what I always do. You know, there's there's reasons for that. I'm still into it, but well, and I think and you know going in with eyes wide open. We we talked about before. You know, at the at the top, we talked about, oh, you know, this looks interesting to us. I think it's a well done letter. I think it's cheap stock, et cetera. But yeah, I think it's very easy to get drawn into. And I've done this and I've thought like consciously done this with certain large caps of, oh, it's a large cap. It's well covered. I kind of know what it's doing, you know, and either I'll hold it as sort of an equivalent to other positions that I might have or it is, you know, equivalent to cash or whatever else. It's like a safe place to put your money or or I just don't need to follow it as closely because it's in the news all the time. And I think with this one, you really should spend time understanding where AT&T's business might go, where Verizon's business might go, where, how does this play out? Like, I don't, I think Elliot probably has done a lot of work and credit to them for that, but we haven't seen all that work. And so it's on us to try to figure out what's going on here. And is this really a thesis that we, that makes sense. I, I think there's a lot compelling here, but yeah, I, I think there's still more work to do for the individual investor. Our commenters love when we do that. <laughs> not come to a conclusion. Yeah. They're going to love that. And they're going to love the not homework. Didn't do the homework on that. Hey guys. Thanks for listening. We're trying to surface the idea. Uh, obviously, this is a very well-serviced idea, but trying to look. I think this is about as bullish as we've been on an idea in a while. So, look, we're not yeah. perma bears. Give us a 10-time PE industrial communications giant and with a lot of mess, and we'll be somewhat bullish. Screw it up. So, <laughs> all right. Good all stuff, right. Mike. Yep. Talk to you soon, Daniel. Yeah, take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's discussion. Behind the Idea is breaking down another classic mega cap in a discussion directly with the author on next week's episode. So watch out for that. As always, anytime you have to leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts is appreciated. We read everything and love hearing both the good and what we can do better. You can email us with feedback at btipod at seekingalpha.com as well. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thank you for listening, and see you next week on Behind the Idea.